Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let's get it to Mr. Trump and the arraignment in Atlanta. What to expect now? And might the U.S. Supreme Court, this is a question that's been asked a few times, might the U.S. Supreme Court intercede prior to the conclusion of the trials and issuance of verdicts? Uh, Jeff Robbins is a former United States attorney for the District of Massachusetts, former chief counsel on the Senate's Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. He's now a partner at Saul Ewing National U.S. Law Firm and Congressional Investigations Practice Chair. Mr. Robbins, thank you for joining us. Roy, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. How would you, as a federal government and Senate senior investigator, were you still in those roles? Go about investigating the Donald Trump issues. There are so many twists, so many turns, claims and counterclaims, state and federal legal avenues being pursued. How would you go about an investigation? Um, I would certainly begin by eating from the four food groups, because as you point out, there is so much evidence of so many different kinds of crimes or potential crimes, so many participants or potential participants. In the Georgia case alone, there are 18 uh, uh, co-defendants, and there are as many sort of unindicted co-conspirators as there are sands on the seashore, all of whom ardently wish to not become indicted co-conspirators. So it's a, a ma- it would be a massive task, and of course, uh, the proof is in the pudding. It's not even something that can be done by one jurisdiction, since there are so many, uh, under our system, so many state and federal laws implicated in so many different storylines. What uh, is Mr. Trump's greatest legal challenge or obstacle at this time? Is it the insurrection charge pointing to January 6th, 2021 in Washington? I think that it is the Georgia case, and and here's why. Um, In the New York case, there are, for your listeners, I'm sure know this, there are four separate indictments, uh, one in New York for falsifying business records in connection with payments to a, a, a former uh, porn star. There are, uh, in, in, there's in uh, Florida, the uh, classified documents case where uh, Mr. Trump is charged and a couple of his associates are charged with taking classified documents, willfully retaining classified documents, and then obstructing an investigation into his taking and retention of classified documents. There is a federal case in um, in uh, Washington, D.C., brought only against him, by again, by the special counsel, Jack Smith, uh, charging him, uh, as you point out, with these, uh, these uh, interference with the uh, counting of uh, electoral votes. And then for the P.S. de resistance, there is, uh, as of this week, in Georgia, a uh, very sort of sprawling indictment of 19 individuals, uh, one of whom is the former president, for racketeering, conspiracy, solicitation to uh, uh, of, uh, public officials to violate their oaths of office and the like. And that, I think, is the most serious one. And the reason is, there are several reasons. One is that if he is convicted, the racketeering uh, charge, uh, some of these charges have mandatory minimum sentences. There is no discretion. People, if you're convicted, must go to prison. Second of all, under our system, uh, believe it or not, the President of the United States can pardon himself, at least he may well be able to pardon himself, it's untested, uh, as to any federal crimes. And if he can't pardon himself, he can appoint an attorney general who will decide to withdraw the case against him. That's a very real issue. 
it wouldn't be a real issue with anybody other than Donald Trump, but with him it is. Under our system, however, the president has no such power to pardon himself for convictions or for crimes committed under state law. And therefore, if he is indeed convicted under Georgia state law, he uh, is out of luck in terms of the let me pardon myself and go about my business strategy. And the third reason why I think this is the toughest one for him is that if you think hurting cats is difficult, imagine trying to keep in line 18 co-defendants and God knows how many unindicted co-conspirators who have every incentive to reach their own plea deal with prosecutors in order to reduce their prison time or avoid prison and testify against him. How, in the name of all that is holy, is he able to? Is he going to be able to put his fingers in all those dikes and keep people who have an incentive to testify against him from testifying against him? So he is in a very deep hole all around, but the deepest hole, I think, is in Georgia. Um, so, Mr. Robbins, I, I know I'm going to get a thousand emails at least accusing me of all sorts of things because I'm questioning uh, and not supporting Donald Trump. He has a lot of supporters in Canada, millions in the United States, and they will argue again that the Department of Justice, the FBI, the federal government have been politically weaponized. What do you say to that? And is it possible within the structure of the U.S. government to weaponize agencies against a party or a candidate? Well, certainly, historically, it has been possible to do that. Um, and uh, ironically, one of the players, uh, one of the people responsible for doing just that was the former president. Um, Richard Nixon also uh, did it. Um, Lyndon Johnson did it to some degree. And of course, we saw a bit of it during the McCarthy era. The reason that I can't uh, um, agree with the notion that these indictments are a function of weaponization is the charges themselves. Let's take the documents case. It's either a crime to take classified documents and willfully retain them and obstruct the government's investigation into your taking of them and your retention of them, or it isn't. That The law on that is pretty straightforward, and the facts in that case do seem to be extraordinarily straightforward. So however disappointed people may be that there is uh, an investigation, there's a prosecution being done by the Department of Justice under the former president's successor, the facts there seem to be awfully straightforward and not easily susceptible of the uh, characterization of a, of a political or politically motivated prosecution. I assume that we all agree that it's not that it's illegal and also not helpful to have people take classified documents, nuclear secrets, military secrets, and walk off with them, declare that uh, you know that that Tinkerbell or some other Peter Pan character has has declassified them and go off into the sunset and keep them and show them to people and the rest of it. Either that stuff gets prosecuted or it doesn't. So there's an example of a situation in which it does seem to me unfair to say that these charges are the result of weaponization. So one now, of the, sorry, please go ahead. You go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Finish well, your thought. another example, in the case, um, some may remember that uh, in the aftermath of the Georgia election, which was a key state, not the dispositive state, but one of the key states in terms of the outcome of the election, the former president, uh, very disappointed that he was behind, called the Georgia Secretary of State and said, all I want you to do is to find 11,870 votes, which is more uh, than uh, one more than I need. In other words, if you can find me that number of votes, I will win the election. 
There's no shame in simply saying that you've recalculated. Now, surely that's not an acceptable practice in a democracy to, to phony up or to call for the phoning up of, of, of votes. We can't proceed that way. So there's another example to your questioner and to your question of something which I think isn't easily put in the category of a weaponized uh, criminal charge. So the question that's been asked uh, repeatedly in the United States, and I've seen it uh, asked on uh, repeat broadcasts on uh, television news, radio news, heard it on radio news, will the Supreme Court, is there a chance the Supreme Court, and Mr. Trump appointed a number of them, I think three justices, is there a chance the Supreme Court will involve itself in the Trump trials prior to a verdict being delivered? What do you think, Mr. Robbins? So it's such a good question. Here's why I think they won't. And if you'll permit me, I'll give you a caveat. What's a lawyer without a caveat? I think they won't because there is a appropriate sensitivity on the part of the Supreme Court of the perception that it has become too political and has lost its credibility. There's at least one justice who couldn't care less about that perception, I think, but that's the concern on the part of the court. Second, some of these indictments involve charges that are so short that they don't really involve any noteworthy issues. You can't take the classified documents, you can't keep them, and so forth. There are also state law charges, and under our system, which is a complicated system uh, uh, for some, uh, the, it, it's considered sort of against the grain and impermissible for uh, federal courts to intervene in state uh, courts' administration of their own criminal justice system. Obviously, in Georgia, New York, we have that. And finally, there's the general principle that if you're going to review a case, that the review should take place after all the evidence is in, after the trial is finished, after all the rulings have been made, and after all, after there's a verdict for the purpose of judicial economy. Uh, so those are the reasons I think they won't. Um, and if I haven't bored you and your listeners to tears, I can give you a caveat uh, to that. Please. The caveat is reflected in a story that I was told when I was appointed to the Senate uh, Investigative Committee by somebody who had himself been in the, in the Senate uh, on a committee. An old hand had told him uh, before this fellow had gone down to Washington, he said, son, things ain't all on the level down here. Uh, and that is a, uh, that's just a, a fact that sometimes politics can get in the way. This is, in America, we are hugely polarized, hugely politicized. And it's sort of hold on to your hats in terms of things proceeding as they ordinarily would. Here's an example. The Bush versus Gore case, which your listeners may remember from 2000, when the uh, election of the president is between George uh, W. Bush and Albert Gore, hung in the balance and uh, in the counting of state uh, votes in Florida. Now, a Florida Supreme Court had ruled that under Florida law, there had to be a recount. Ordinarily, as I said, federal courts don't intervene in that. And so one might have been rational in assuming that they wouldn't there. They did. Uh, and the, they ruled that the continued counting of those votes violated the United States Constitution. So, as I say, things aren't completely predictable, but in the ordinary course, I'd expect that it's likelier than not, even significantly likelier than not, that the Supreme Court won't intercede uh, before there's a verdict that's been reached. Okay. I have so many more questions for you, only 45 seconds. Uh, meanwhile, with all of this going on, the presidential campaign will continue and will likely run headlong into his court cases next spring or summer. How do you see that playing itself out? 
complete mayhem with the uh, former president forced to play sort of um, uh, indictment pinball uh, as he ricochets uh, between and among court appearances and presidential primaries and debates or sometimes non-debates. And so it's going to be a huge headache for him to try to navigate all of that. So you'll see some uh, so, some form of mayhem uh, in America just because we need more mayhem over the next, <laughs> however it is, 16 months. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 